Well, we've been doing a short mini-series the last month or so to wrap up summer together here at Christ Church, and we've entitled it Grace to the West Shore. I actually could have named it Basic Christianity. Uh, week one, we asked, how do you become a believer? The following week, we said, how do you live as a believer? And by implication, how do you know that you are one? And we've looked at those those two weeks, the, the wonderful story of the Syrian general Naaman. And this week, we're going to look one last time in this series at how we are shaped or how we're formed as believers. How do we make sure that the beliefs that are in our minds form and shape our lives? We've said it over and over again because it's true. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, not because of our good works or our changed lives. But if we truly have been saved by grace in Jesus, that changes us. But how? And throughout generations, the answer to that question by scholars and pastors all alike is prayer, but not just any prayer. It's Prayer, meditation, going into prayer. And so we're going to look even more specifically at that in using the Psalms in doing so. So I encourage you to open up with me in your Bibles to Psalm 1. If you're visiting with us, you'll know it in the back of the bulletin. And today is back to school Sunday, all right? Because we're going to learn how we might be shaped and formed today. So young people. You know, you notice in the back of the bulletin there is sermon notes. I encourage you to write in them because my rector, when I was your age, had a very similar message like this, and I remember it to this day because he spoke to me like the way I'm speaking to you, young people. So this is for you, and this is helpful. Adults, same thing. You know, as you are going back to work tomorrow morning with all the hustle and bustle, there's going to be something here. Use it. And, and my older saints, you are my heroes because you're, you're the knees of our congregation. You're the ones who, in retirement, can spend a little more time in prayer, perhaps. And you can be the knees. And, and this is a powerful message. And I know that as I prepared this week, it's enriched my personal worship time. So this is very practical. So here we go. We're going to learn why meditation in prayer then we're going to learn beginning prayer, engaged in prayer, and concluding in prayer. Okay, so those are the four points of our message this day. Why meditation into prayer, beginning meditation, remaining in it, and concluding it and wrapping it up. Let's look at the why. There's three big reasons why we get involved in, in meditating on the Word of God. Because here's... The key, it's the ch life-changing, formative key. Because a lot of people have said to me, I've prayed and it's never done me any good. You know, it's never changed my life. Uh, all right, all right. We're going to teach you how this morning. Uh, Barb Finley alluded to it last week, because this is what we do in our journey groups. We, we teach one another for the first six weeks how to do this. And so we're going to look at Psalm 1 as the key because the Psalter, which is God's prayer book, if you will, in the Psalms. We have the Book of Common Prayer. Well, the Psalter is another word of saying the Psalms. And if you go to the Book of Common Prayer in 79, you'll notice the very first page says the Psalter. 
which means the book of Psalms. That's all it means. And Psalm 1 is an introduction to the Psalms. It's not a prayer back to God. It's an introduction of what this, if you're in this book, what your life will look like. In Psalm 150, six verses, just like Psalm 1, they're bookends, talks about how we properly conclude our prayers with praise. So that's what we're going to look at today, because in the Psalms, there's, it's filled with all kinds of emotion. There's rejoicing prayers. There's pleading prayers. There's laments. There's imprecatory prayers, praying for justice on the enemies of God. And so there's all kinds of emotions. But here, number one, the reason why we do this is because notice what meditating in prayer on God's word does for us. Verse 3, that this person who does such is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Because meditation taps you into the well of God's grace, the groundwater, so that your leaf doesn't wither when there is no rainfall in your life. In other words, the practice of meditation enables you to get your heart so close to God that no matter how bad your circumstances are or your life is in the present time, how dry the circumstances, you've got hope for living and a spiritual vitality because it's tapped into the groundwater of God's grace. So therefore, if you've learned to meditate on Scripture, whenever people reject you, you can handle it because you're rooted in God's love. If your business tanks, you lose your job, you can handle it because you're rooted in His sovereignty. If you're a mess when life hits you like this and you've never learned to tap into the groundwater, life falls apart. And so the unbelieving world, verse 4, is spoken about as chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff has no root. It's dry grass that as the football team runs over it and over it and over it, they're eventually running on nothing but dirt, right? That's what happens. Although kids practice on turf these days. They don't understand that experience. But that's the point. The point is chaff. It's just dried up grass, wheat. And if we don't learn to, how to meditate, we be, we're like that dry grass. that The wind blows away when life hits you. See, there's a great scene in the fellowship, not the fellowship, the Return of the King in the Lord of the Rings trilogy where Pippin is noticing as Gondor is falling to the evil army of Sauron. He looks up at Gandalf the White and he says this, In his face Pippin saw first only care and sorrow. But as he looked closer, he perceived under it all that there was a great joy, a fountain of mirth that would set a kingdom laughing were it to gush forth. Under the great city of Gondor falling, Gandalf had a great joy. A fountain of laughter were it to gush forth. And the text says today that you too can have such joy in mirth if you know how to do meditation. Let's look at verse 1 for a second. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the 
way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In all his law he meditates day and night. That word delight in the Hebrew means to feel rich. That this person loves the law of the Lord, which is another word for all of Scripture, by the way. Because that's what it meant then, and that's what it means now. It's all of God's word. And it's taking the abstract thoughts about God and bringing them into your heart. Meditation is the mind descending to the heart. To the point that your whole body catches on fire with the reality of the truths that have been revealed to you. It's pressing the truth of God deep down into the heart so that all of our lives are affected by it. And notice that it's all the day long. On his law, he meditates day and night. It's not an Eastern meditation that encourages you to empty your mind. It's a, as Christians, we're not called to empty our minds, but to fill our minds with Scripture. So meditation is the mind pressing its thought into the heart until it catches fire and our lives are affected by it and it changes our character. And we don't do it just once a day. You, you bring it back. You keep, you keep it to the forefront. You think about it. Not mechanically just setting your timer necessarily for a time of prayer, but just it keeps coming back to you. It's not just, all right, I get my quiet time in the morning, check, I'm good to go. But rather, more than once a day, you reorient your mind back to the living God and the truths that you've been reflecting on, making him the center of your attention. And the word meditate means to think, to ponder, to intensely focus and ask questions. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And beyond that, we get the metaphor of that tree. Because that's what the believer's life looks like. So that's the first thing. When you meditate, you bear fruit. Secondly, meditation this way, walking into prayer, it jumpstarts you like a, like a cold car on a February morning in Cleveland. Right? I don't know about you, but... In the mornings when I have my time with the Lord, I'm not ready to just jump into the Holy of Holies. And when I have done that, I've failed miserably. No, because the fact is our hearts are cold, and you know it's true. But when you meditate this way, it warms the heart. Luther's barber had no clue on how to pray. And so he said, Master Martin, how, can you teach me how to pray? And so Martin Luther said, sure, I'll write you a letter. He wrote him a 40-page letter. <laughs> you can go online, Google it. I challenge you this afternoon. Luther's letter to his barber on prayer. It'll be, it's all there, and you can skim the first 38 pages. It's all good, but the last two pages are absolute gold. Absolute gold. And that's what we're going to be talking about. And Luther would say... You know, when you, when you open up God's word, go to the Psalms, he would say. Or take the Ten Commandments, or take the Lord's Prayer, and ask yourself, what is this teaching me? What does it show me about God that I can praise Him for? What does it show me about myself that I need to confess? And what does it show me about what I need in my life? Those four things is what he teaches in that letter. And all of a sudden, you keep doing so, and you keep doing so, and you keep doing so, until all of a sudden, you feel warmth. And then you're ready to pray. 
Then you're ready to go. So that's the first thing. It warms your heart to get into a prayer time. And last but not least, it gives us the language of prayer. We learn to pray because we're praying God's word back to him. You're Anglicans. This is what we do. The service that we do today is filled with scripture. You know, Kimmy and I had this funny idea a long time ago that maybe we would adopt a kid. We had four and we stopped. Um, but the reality is, for a little bit of a while, we were talking about, because it was popular in Christian circles, because the Russians had opened their borders to us and we could adopt a Russian baby. And I said, awesome, sweetheart, let's get a Russian hockey player and name him Yuri. <laughs> Yuri Sherman, number 27, Pittsburgh Penguins. Awesome hockey players. It'd be awesome. She's like, no, I'd rather have a girl who's a Bolshoi ballet, ballerina. And I'm like, yeah, right. But the reality, the reality is when you adopt a child into your life, you don't say, from Russia, you don't say, we better learn to speak Russian so they can understand us. No, when you, when you adopt a baby or have a baby, he'll learn the language in response to what you're speaking to them, right? And that's exactly what's going on in meditation because true prayer is a response to the Word of God as he speaks to us. So that's the big reasons why. Let's look at this, okay? Let's go to class, right? You got your Bibles open, right? We're on Psalm 1, all right? So that's the first thing. So I want you to look at your sermon notes and on the side write vertically, not horizontally, vertically, the words P-R-A-I-S-E. Praise in the margin there. So that's the first thing I'm asking you to do. You have your Bible or... Ladies and gentlemen, as Anglicans, the Book of Common Prayer. You can open up to page 585, and it says the Psalter. Cranmer, you'll notice in Psalm 1, it says Book 1, First Day Morning Prayer. Guess what, th guess what that means. First day of the month, these are the Psalms you pray during your time of prayer in the morning. All right, so Psalm 1 through 5 are those prayers, and then you get to Psalm 6, first day evening prayer. That's an idea. You know, I wrote in this in 1991, because this is the, 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 the beloved prayer book that my mother-in-law, who passed away, gave to me. Because I said, I don't have my own book of common prayer. She said, I'll fix that. And I wrote the months in there, because as a young teacher and coach who was very busy, as many of you are, I, I, I couldn't do five psalms in the morning, thank you very much. I'm eating my cereal, and I'm reading scripture, and I'm trying to use meditation to get me into my prayer time. I would just read one, prayer, one psalm. <laughs> and so I marked the months off. And so it's whatever works for you. We've got all kinds of resources. Cranmer has, in the daily office, a plan to read all all 150 psalms through every month. Benedict, in his Benedictine order, the monks, would, as their prayer office, would read all 150 psalms a week. They're monks. They bake bread and pray. That's what they do. <laughs> all right? I don't know if that works for American suburban-type people. All right? Um, God bless you. You know, if you're, you, that works for you, that's great. But the reality is, our Bibles are open, the Psalms are open, and that's how it's best for us to begin. All right? That's, we start just reading it out loud. Blessed is the man or woman 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scars, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Read it out loud. And let the words jump, because they will. They'll jump out at you. Something will jump out at you as you begin. That's the first part. Second, how do you remain in? How do you meditate on the whole word of God like Luther? Well, let's start with our acronym I had you write down, all right? And really, it's kind of, we're overlapping here. First, P stands for pray. First, we ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Take just a few seconds, if you have to, and just say, Lord, this is your word. Speak to me afresh this morning. Next, R stands for read the word of God. Start with the Psalms, and then you can use anything in the Scripture. You don't have to use just the Psalms, but read the text, and I would encourage you to read it out loud to yourself. So you let the words really jump. A means that's when you start to ask the questions. You can use Luther's questions. You can just... Who, what, when, where, how, and why, the old reporter's outline, right? Those of you who are journalism majors, no. Just let's ask questions of the text. Don't just read it and say, that's nice. If there's something you don't understand, ask the Lord. Look at the, con we'll talk about the context. I means interpret the context. Who's the author? What's going on contextually in the text? And S means summarize. What does God want you to do <laughs> with how he's just spoken to you afresh? And last, E means engage in prayer. We're going to get that to the last point, okay? That's really the last. We start to pray as our hearts are warmed. Let me give you an example, all right? That great Christmas text, John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This week I was, I was looking at that, and the word glory jumped. Lord, you are glorious. What does that mean? His renown, his fame, his splendor, his magnificence, his grandeur, his brilliance. We know that. His majesty. But there's also another use of the word glory, that it's the glory that he bestows upon his people. Psalm 8, God has bestowed his glory on his people, upon his beloved children, who it brings total satisfaction in life, just being his beloved. And I just rested on that. If that doesn't warm your heart, you're dead. <laughs> Think about it. You know, and all of a sudden, your heart is warmed and you're ready to go in. Meditation like this is like a cow chewing their cud. You know, they chew for a while, they swallow, and they spit it back up and they chew it again. And that's what happens throughout the day in meditation. And it forms me. And you know what happens? I begin to worship the God who is, not the God of my own creation. As so many people do. I start to say, I'm with you now, Lord. I see it now. I get it. I don't get that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest in that uncertainty and that mystery about you, and I'm going to trust you, Lord. And that's what happens as you begin to meditate. And then you go into a time of prayer. And I would encourage you, you all know it for the most part, right? We, we say it every week, the Lord's Prayer. Well, if you notice, there's a pattern in the Lord's Prayer of five targets. And I encourage you to write these targets down. 
all right? Start off with just with God's honor. That's the first point. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Spend a few moments from what you've read. Is there something in what you've read that is glorifying God, giving God honor and glory in your life? Well, you know, I just, we just spoke about that the Lord became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Lord, you are full of glory. Like Moses, Lord, I want to see your face. Just start to pray like that. Focusing on God's honor. Secondly, God's reign. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I come to you this morning and I pray that you would reign in my life. That I've seen your word that... You know, I haven't meditated as I should. I, I see in your word that I'm to be like a tree of stream of water. I feel, instead of a tree, I feel more like a, a dry piece of wheat. Lord, forgive me. Anyway, whatever it might be, but Lord, reign in my life. You're the king, I'm not. Third is, give me this day our daily bread, which is, which is a prayer for God's provision. Lord, provide for my needs. Provide for my family. Provide for my church family. Provide for us. Watch over us. Keep us. May we rest in your provision. Then forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins. As we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, forgive me for. And asking the Lord's forgiveness for the ways you perhaps have fallen short. And he's bringing you back. And he welcomes you back. Then you end. And Psalm 150 is a perfect example of how to always end our prayers because the end of God's prayer book is what? A psalm of praise. Look at these six verses that are there. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. Uh, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him for, according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's obnoxious. It's joyful. If we brought a lyre and a lute and a harp and cymbals in here, you'd say, I'm out of here, man. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah, Brian's going, let's bring it. Yeah. But that's what happens. We end with praise in this way. Who sh where should we praise God? Everywhere. Why should we praise God? For everything. How should we praise God? In every way. Who should praise him? Everything that has breath. In other words, are you drawing a pulse? Praise the Lord. Every one of us. Eugene Peterson says, All true prayer pursued enough will end in praise. Any prayer, no matter how desperate its origin, no matter how angry or fearful the experience it traverses, will end in praise. It does not always get there quickly or easily, the trip can take a lifetime, but the end is always the same, praise. Now, I know there might be some of you this morning that say, you know, there's a little bit of a puzzle here. And, and, and Lord, I believe it. Gene, I get it. 
I see that the mark of a disciple is not that they go to church day and night, not that they share their faith day and night, but this is the puzzling thing. The puzzling thing is the person like this, according to the psalm, is this person likes God to tell them what to do. They're happy to have God cross his will. Thank you, sir. May I have another? That's the mark of a disciple. That proves that you've tapped into God's well. And how does that happen? Because you know, as you read scripture, if you're like me, you read the sermon, something like the Sermon on the Mount, and you go, great, I can't do that. Mark Twain had a recurring nightmare of a 300-pound Bible sitting on his chest as he was re- sleeping, just weighing him down, and he couldn't get out from under it. That's very realistic. You see, none of us delight in the law of the Lord the way we should or the way this person does. No one can live that way. But there's one who did. Hebrews 10 says of Jesus, Behold, I have come to delight in your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus prayed night and day. You heard it in our gospel reading. Before he chose his apostles, what did he do? Prayed all night. 10% of Jesus' speech is Scripture. 10%. He was always in Scripture, meditating and delighting in all of Scripture. And you might be thinking, great, Gene, thanks. That makes me feel worse. How can I possibly be like that? Well, when you look at Jesus Christ, and you see him using the Psalms in this way, don't look at him as your example. Look at him as your Savior. He was in the uttermost pain upon the cross. You know when you stub your toe, more than likely when you're in great pain, you're not necessarily, you're going to say whatever is in your heart. Right? And many of us, out of our mouths, would probably not come scripture. (laughs) Jesus upon the cross quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's doing what we should be doing. He's handling the word of God even as he's dying for us. He's saying, I have become chaff for you. You don't have to. He was upon the cross for us so we could tap into the well water as trees and we could be brought in and flourish with abundant life, abundant joy, bearing fruit that would be contagious to our community. For Jesus lived the life we should have lived and he died the death we should have died. And all of our guilt for not being able to live the way we should is all on him. It's taken care of. That's grace. So let's pray and ask God to make us meditators and delighters. Let's pray.